0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopecolona.ca. Good morning. This past Wednesday, it seems that it seems like the day that so much changed. The World Health Organization declared the coronavirus to be a global pandemic, and with that, the alarm bell started going off in a greater and a greater way. Now, if you're like me, you might say, was that only on Wednesday? Because it feels like we've lived a number of weeks already. I don't know if that's the way that that you might be, but it seems like that only happened Wednesday. Yes, there was concern before that, but the alarm bells really started just going off on Wednesday in an unprecedented way. So much has happened during that time. So much chaos, so much confusion, so many announcements, so many updates. And it's emotionally and it is physically and it can also is spiritually draining and it can cause us great fear. And it can cause us to ask many questions. For us here in the Okanagan at least, prior to Wednesday the coronavirus just seemed like it was something that was out there. But since Wednesday, everything has been ramping up. I read this morning that Silver Star Mountain is shutting down for the foreseeable future. You hear it on social media. You hear everything in the news. It's just continual. And it's all, everyone's opinions, everyone's ideas. Ten things you need to know. Ten things you must do. Ten things you must not do. Ten reasons why you ought to panic. Ten reasons why you ought not to panic. And you just kind of feel like you're bouncing around like crazy. You hear all these conflicting messages and and opinions and and it just seems that th- that this week the panic buying went beyond toilet paper didn't it it just went kind of crazy and and continues to be uh, that way this weekend and and you just kind of see that that people before this week were stressed about toilet paper issues it would seem but and but now it's even extended to, to other things and and I've witnessed the stressed out nature of people Friday. Uh, A partial day off for me, I went to my favorite store, Costco, of course. And and as soon as I pulled into the parking lot, I thought, this is going to be fun. And and I didn't even take a cart because I knew I wasn't buying anything. I was just going in for a social experience. And and indeed, it was a social experience as, as there were literally the lineups. And you've heard about them. I don't need to repeat all of that. But but the thing I noticed is the short fuses on people. The anger and someone bumps you. And, and, and I saw two ladies get into just a solid argument because someone bumped into someone else. And they they weren't even in the restriction zone of, of you know, sort of that, that safety zone that, that we hear about. People are stressed and, and so much is going on. And then at times, some of us, the way that we love to deal with some of these things at times is through some humor. And sometimes you just have to laugh. At some of the crazy things, I, I, I like this one picture of this. This picture of this dog, and, and what's he saying? It's for your own good. You have to stop touching your face, you know. And so it's revenge of the dogs, you know. People put cones on their dogs, and so now um, the the dogs are putting the cones on us. And 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 what are people going to do with all that extra toilet paper, you know, that, that they're purchasing? Well, you know what? Redesigning a bathroom, I guess, and 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 uh, making it the tissue room of some sort. And and so we kind of see some of these these things, and and we have a little laugh, and and you laugh at some of the foolishness, but then you have the extreme foolishness, like the mega church pastor in New Zealand, the prosperity false teacher uh, that that you'll see here, and and you can go and you can research this yourself on the internet, but but this guy is saying that Bible-believing, born-again Christians who pay their tithes can, uh, God assures them protection from the virus according to Psalm 91, They are the only ones, he says, and I quote, that can walk through atmosphere and have protection. Hmm. Cuckoo. I mean, come on. I mean, and and that was about a week and a half ago. I'm I'm wondering um, how things are going there this morning, if they've canceled their services or not. It would be interesting to see. But after a while, it's overload, isn't it? After a while, it's just like, this is too much, and you're kind of wondering, what's going to happen next? What, and, and, and then you wonder, it's almost like that calm before the storm. You don't know when or how, if, what is life going to look like, not just socially but economically and, 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 and in relationships. What kind of an impact is it going to have on business, on our paychecks, on our churches, on society, in our schools? And it is important that we just don't bury and put our head in the sand. We want to be informed and not ignorant. We want to be prepared but not paranoid. But it's also knowing when you have heard enough. And just to turn off the TV, stop looking on social media and, and, and to the news sources you go to. And it's about focusing and fixing our minds on what is true, what is stable. It's about fixing our minds on something and someone that has and will and will continue to outlive a virus. Something that will outlive you and me. Something that will outlive this entire physical realm here on planet Earth and go into eternity forever and ever. And that is the mighty... Word of God, and it's getting our minds and our hearts and our eyes focused on God's word and to find that there is hope and there is help. And my prayer has been for our church, for my family, for our nation, for the churches across our land and around this world that we would not be filled with fear, but instead we would be filled with faith. And today we're going to look at God's word, and I believe God has a word for us from his word. He always does. He is faithful to that. And, and so when we are hurting, when we are hungry, when we are desperate, we go to God's word and we pray, God, would you speak to us through your word? God will speak to us through his word. And I trust he will do that for each one of us here this morning. And so today we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus and Jesus' disciples were in the midst of a great storm. A horrific storm, a storm that was so big that even experienced fishermen, which he had as his disciples, were even concerned, and they were worried, and they were worn out, and they were starting to wonder, where is Jesus? What is going on? Are we left alone to go through this storm on our own? And so let's read in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, I'm not sure if I told you to turn there, but you will see it. God in the storm, and we're going to see how God's glorious generosity, because our God is so loving, he's going to meet us in the storm. Storms of life. No matter what it is that we are facing, He is there. He is with us. And we're going to see some powerful things from His word here this morning in John chapter 6, reading in verse 16. And it says, When evening came, His, meaning Jesus' disciples, went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. And he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going." Now today we're going to see six truths, six truths about God's gracious generosity to us where he meets us in the midst of the storm. I encourage you to write this down. I encourage you to have a a, a pen handy and some notes as we go through this and and, and to follow along in God's word as we work through this passage. The first truth, encourage you to write this down. The first truth, storms in life are a guarantee, Storms in life, they are a guarantee. They are a common. And storms will come that will blow us off course. We plan out our lives. We plan out our holidays. Some of you have planned out your March break. You've planned out the next few weeks and months and and, and perhaps the next year in in careers, in our schooling, perhaps in investments, retirement, all of our work. And you just kind of expect, just as we have come to expect in so many different ways, that things will just kind of go relatively smooth. With very few, yeah, there will be the hiccups in life, but we'll muscle through that, we'll get through that. But basically, we kind of expect and have come to enjoy here in our nation the happily ever after. That in the end, things will go well. We'll get through these storms and through these trials. Just think about it. Two to three weeks ago, this coronavirus was seen as something that was out there. We heard of this virus and we thought, we're fine, we're good, we're kind of untouchable. Yes, it's happening in other places in this world, but we have confidence or faith or ignorance or whatever it might be. And then some of the happenings that just happen daily, it seems, even hourly. Last night, as I was continuing to go over this message, I was getting updates from our kids about our daughter's school in Calgary that has shut down, is going virtual and she's in a practicum right now and she doesn't know what's going on. Our son's school, the Bible college he's at in Saskatchewan is in total lockdown. Other Bible colleges in Saskatchewan where they've had four cases so far are, are, are shutting down and sending the students home. So it might be a quick trip to Saskatchewan to get our boy. We're not sure. Didn't see this coming a few days ago. We didn't see this coming two to three weeks ago. Yet God's word tells us from the very lips of Jesus, Jesus says, that in this world, you will have trials, you will have storms, you will have difficulty, you will have trouble. And God's word speaks of pestilence, which this is, what we're facing, what we're looking at globally. He speaks of it often. But then Jesus went on to say, yes, this is going to happen. But he's like, take heart. Don't worry. I'm bigger. I am greater than any storm that you will ever face. I've conquered it all. Storms will come and storms will go. And storms that will come at times, though, some of the big storms that will leave us beyond our ability to navigate, where we feel completely powerless. And I believe this is a place where God is bringing us. He's bringing a nation, a people, a world to its knees in so many different ways. In this story that we just read about the disciples, they were out on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, seasoned, experienced fishermen. They had been in storms before, but this one was a doozy for them. They had been going three to four hours and not making any headway. In fact, it was even more than that. It was they were about three to four miles, and it's believed that they were going eight to nine hours, that they were rowing. The wind was against them. They couldn't put up their sail, and so they were tired. They were worn out. Now, some storms in life that we face, let's be realistic. Some storms that we face come because of disobedience, because of our own sinful choices, because of decisions we have made, and then we have to live with them. God's word is clear that we reap what we sow. But storms in life at times will come because of our disobedience, because of our sin, because of our rebellion. Or sometimes we live on the effects of other people's sin and rebellion. And there's consequences that come. Look at the life of Jonah. We're not going to do a study in the life of Jonah, but he faced a storm because he was being disobedient to God. But then there are storms that will come when we are right in the middle of God's will. When we are doing what he has called us to do. When we are desiring to be faithful. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 4 Verse 19 and it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That God in his will allows and has permitted us to go through difficulties, to see us come to the end of ourselves because we are, again, so proud, so arrogant, so self-sufficient and thinking we don't need him when in reality, we do. We can be in the center of God's will and still face storms. And one of the encouraging blessings on the other side of storms that we see, they can produce, even in the midst, but especially afterwards, a steadfastness, a growth, a maturity of faith. Look at what James, the, the, the brother of Jesus, had to write in, in James chapter 1, verse 2. I don't believe it's on the screen, but you can write down James chapter 1, verse 2, and you can read this later on. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Storms and challenges in life will come, They will come to our families. They will come to us as a person, as a church, as a society, as a nation, entire world. And one of the things, one of the blessings that can come, it can take surface, shallow, lukewarm faith and cause us to go deeper and to get fired up for God and to look at and see what is truly important. That our testing of our faith can produce a steadfastness, a steadfastness that when it is to full effect, allows us to be able to stand in confidence in God and in His will. Storms and challenges that we face get our attention. As humans, we have become so proud and so arrogant in thinking we can do it all. I got a text from one of the men in our church last night, and he said this, I find it kind of funny, though. Proud, arrogant men make plans and rule the world, everyone is running around chasing the American dream, and bam, just like that, everyone cowers back into their corner. He went on to say, I just love the sovereignty and the power of God. We are not in control, but our God is. Amen? Amen. But look at this, and I encourage you to write this down about storms, one of the things we see, that Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. Interesting. Now, it's important to understand when it comes to the word of God that we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are four different authors, four different eyewitness accounts to four different sets of audiences about the life of Christ. And so this is the beauty of the gospel, and this is why We have certain stories and accounts of Jesus' life that are repeated. And so if you start, you know, reading through your Bible and you read something in Matthew and then you start reading in the book of of Mark is kind of the next book that you're following along and reading, you're like, have I read this before? And then you get to Luke, like, hey, I thought I read it again. No, it's not that you're getting old and forgetful. That's just the way God's word repeats itself. And, and right now, our kids, being, you know, college students, think that they're rather smart. One of the things that when they came home at Christmas, we noticed them starting to do, that when we would be talking to them and telling a story, they would go like this. Or they would go like this, and we're like, what's that about? They said, uh, yeah, that's the second time you told me that. And that's a third time. And, I'm like, you little, we, we brought you into this world. How can you treat us like? That? I mean, that's so rude and yet so funny, so proud of them in so many different ways. Staff, if you ever get doing that, you're in trouble. Anyways, yeah, you know, we'll just continue on with that. But, but, but the, the Gospels, there is some repeating. And this story in John chapter 6 is also repeated. And, and you can write down these passages in Matthew chapter 14. And in Mark chapter 6, we have these these, these passages. And, and this is the sweet thing about God's word. God's word doesn't contradict itself. It complements itself. And so reading this in the book of John is kind of like reading it in color, like a color TV. Then you read it about it, it in the, the gospel of Mark, and it takes you to HD. And then you get it to the, the gospel of Matthew, and it's like 4K. And so we're getting a really good understanding of Jesus and how he meets his disciples in the storm. And so the rest of this, we're going to see segments from Matthew, Mark, and from this passage here in John, and how we see how Jesus made this all happen, how how this storm took place and how he showed up in the storm. And one of the things that we see in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus made them get into the boat. He took them down into the water and he's like, get into the boat and go to the other side. We'll see you a little later on. And then he goes up to the mountain to pray. And so the the disciples start to paddle. They start to row. It's getting near dark. But they get about halfway across the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake, I guess, about seven miles by about 13 miles. They get about halfway, three to four miles, and they find themselves in this great storm. All because they were obeying Jesus. How do you like that? They're in the will of Jesus. They're doing what Jesus told them to do. He's sending them out. He's not with them. He sends them out, and they're doing what they were told to do, and yet they face this storm. Ten years ago now, and it it, it doesn't seem like ten years ago, right at this time of year, in fact, this weekend, we were in the prayerful decision about moving to Kelowna. And, and finally, that decision ended up taking quite a while to make. We prayed about it. We were seeking uh, God's word. We are seeking wise counsel. And finally, after many months, we made the decision to move here to Kelowna. And it seemed as soon as we said yes, the, the, the nuisances, the frustrations, just the fun and kind of the expense, things you don't foresee when it comes to moving and moving a family from one province to another kind of just hit us in, in, in full stride. But then a few months into moving here, it didn't take long for even a greater storm to hit. And it left us at times wondering, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? Did we hear you wrong? Were we supposed to do this? And yet, as that stormy season went on, we got to meet with God and experience God in a greater and a deeper way. And today, we stand and we say, we are so thankful through the hardship, through the trial, through the confusion, but also through persevering in trust at times, not because we could, but because we had brothers and sisters and family, brothers and sisters in Christ standing with us, encouraging us, helping us in various ways. And God providentially allowed that storm. And God providentially allows every storm, every trial, everything that we face. And he allows it. And here in this situation, he sent his disciples right into the storm. Write this down as well. God will allow storms at times in our lives to protect us from a greater danger. God will allow storms to protect us from a greater danger. You see, in all three accounts, we see that Jesus, right prior to, prior to this, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000, which was more like twenty to 25,000, because that 5,000 was just the men that they went around and counted and instead it was more like 20 to 25,000 out of 5 loaves and 2 fishes and it was a big day. It was a great day. There was miracles that Jesus was performing. He's healing the sick. He's, he, he's casting out demons. He's teaching the people. They're now feeding the people. And so it was a long day of ministry. And Jesus was tired. No doubt his disciples were tired. And so Jesus sends the crowd away. And he goes and he takes his disciples. He gets them into a boat. And then he gets some isolation. He gets some time with his heavenly father. In verse 15, it, it, it tells us though, however, what was actually going on here and the reason why Jesus sent his disciples away. And it's because in verse 15 we see that the crowd, this great crowd that had just been fed that were so happy with Jesus, they were getting ready to to take Jesus by force and make him king. You see, the Jews were sick and tired of being sick and tired, sick and tired and sick and tired of the Romans. And, and, and the way that they had been ruling God's people. And Jesus is their answer. Jesus, is he the Messiah? Look at his power. He can, can feed the masses. He can just right the economy. He can send down angels from heaven. He can cast out demons. He has all this power, all of this strength. Let's make him king. And Jesus knew this is not why he was sent to this world. And so Jesus is sending them into the storm to protect them from a greater danger. See, the disciples were still really immature in their understanding of Jesus and his mission here on earth. There was a danger that they were already and would continue to buy into the fame and the glory and the, the pride. Yes, we're on the Jesus team. We're one of his disciples. And, you know, and, and we saw that kind of wrestling going on all the time. Right, right. Even up until his death, we continue to see this. And, and, and so we see that Jesus knew that, that what, he, what the disciples would face there with the, the pressure of the crowd was gonna be far worse than the storm that he was gonna send them into. And I believe that God can and is and even will use this pandemic, this global pandemic that we are facing to keep us all and to keep many people who respond to Jesus Christ from even a greater danger than a virus. Because there are many of God's people, some in this room, some online, some in the next theater. You've been distracted in your faith. You've diluted what it means to be a follower of Christ. You've kind of made it on your terms, whether that comes to your devotion to Christ, your mission for Christ, your love for Christ. You've allowed the things of this world, the pressures, the prestige, to grab your attention. And I believe in so many ways God is bringing first and foremost his people to their knees. And to see how much we need him and how much we need to be under his authority, under his wing. This is a big wake-up call to the church. To get our lives right with God. To roll up our sleeves in the coming days and weeks. And we're going to be calling upon you for that as a church. To see how we can serve in the midst of whatever comes. Practical ways and praying, practical ways perhaps in support. We don't know, but we want to be ready for that. And we need to first of all start, I believe, by confessing our lukewarmness, our self-reliance, thinking we've got this, because all of a sudden you realize, oh, maybe we don't. But God is also, I believe, sending this because he is sending a message to people who don't know him. He's keeping them from the greatest danger of all, and that is eternal separation from God forever in hell. And if they don't turn to Jesus, that is where they are going. And this is our finest hour to show and to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so it's an opportunity for us to get low before him in repentance. Perhaps even thank him for what he is going. No, to in fact thank him for what he is going to do in our lives as we trust him by faith. Individuals, as families, as a church. Here's another great truth, I encourage you to write this down, Jesus never loses sight of us even though we may lose sight of Him. Look at it in Mark's account, we see that while Jesus was alone, He was on the mountain, He was praying, but in Mark's account it says, He saw, and if you open your Bibles to that passage in Mark, you're going to see that He saw that they were heading, that they were making headway painfully. And though he's on the mountain praying, his disciples are out three to four miles away, he is seen, he can see that our God can see us. He never loses sight of his own. Jesus never lost sight of his disciples while they were out on the sea. And here's one thing about Jesus: He sees, He knows, and he does care. even though at times we may be left to wondering, does he really care? He does. He sees the pain, he sees the weariness, he sees the frustration, and no doubt he's even hearing some of the chatter in the boat or even in the minds of his disciples. What was Jesus doing? Why did we follow him? We should have stayed on the. We could have been having people take good care of us on the seashore because we're the disciples after. Uh, Whatever is going on in their minds, we don't know. But listen to this truth from John chapter 10, verse 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Why? Because he sees us, he knows us and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What a promise we have from Jesus. If we are in Christ, we are his and he is ours and nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Jesus never loses sight of one of his own. And here's something else. What is Jesus doing? He's praying. He's praying for you, he's praying for me, he's praying for us, he's praying for this world. Jesus is up on the mountain having this time with his heavenly father, he sees his disciples are in trouble, he sees their hopelessness, and he's praying for them. And how do we know that he is praying? Because he's praying for every believer, he told us that. And God's word tells us that over and over. You need to know that Jesus today is praying for you. Online, in the live stream, he is praying for you right now. Around this world, he is praying. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying for his disciples. Go home and read John 17. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Sit and and, and watch a bunch of garbage on Netflix all afternoon and and, and in the mornings and the evening? No, read God's word. Get into his word. John 17. Write that down. Go home and read that. And you'll see that Jesus was praying for his disciples and now he's praying for us too. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Jesus lives today to do what? To do what? To make intercession for us. He's interceding for you and for me. Romans chapter 8, verses 34 and 36, it says, Jesus died. Jesus was raised. Jesus is now at the right hand of God. And, oh, and what's he doing? He's interceding for us. And then it goes on to say, a little later on it says, and that, and, and because of that, nothing shall separate us. Why? Because he's got you and I, he's got this whole world on his mind. And he says, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. If you are in Christ today, nothing can separate you. Shall tribulation? No. Should distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Or danger? Or the sword? Or viruses? No. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Romans 8:26 tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us. He helps us in our weakness with groanings too deep for words when we don't even have words to say the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty powerful prayer team to have, isn't it? We have God the Son, God the Holy Spirit praying to God the Father on our behalf. You are so loved. We are so cared for. He's got this. If you are in the gracious hand of God, if you have come to know him and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, he's got this. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He's praying for you. You are so loved, so valued if you are in Christ. At times we may lose sight of him, trapped in fear, trapped in Worldly endeavors and worldly pursuits that have just got you so wrapped up. You're more about your accomplishments. You become more about your possessions than about what Christ has done. It's time to repent of that. And it's at times as we lose sight of Him in that way, with all of the trials or storms or whatever, know that He never loses sight of us. He's praying for us. The fourth truth Jesus will meet us in the storm. What a great reality. Notice Jesus saw them in the storm, but he didn't come right away. He knew they were struggling. This is going on, some commentators have said, for eight or nine hours. They're rowing, row, row, row your boat. This wasn't no easy row job. They're losing ground. Eight or nine hours. They're barely halfway. It's like three o'clock in the morning. They're white. They're weary. They're about to give up. And it seems as when all hope was basically gone and they're just like, let's just let the winds take us, Jesus came. And you see, Jesus, it often takes us getting to our darkest hour for him to show up. Because it's finally in that darkest hour when we have exercised all of our own strength, all of our own trying and striving and figuring and and all of that, that we get to the place where we have nothing left. And that's a wonderful place to be because that's when Jesus desires and that's when he can show up in a powerful way. When we get to that place of desperation, when we get to that place of surrender and we say, I give up, I'm exhausted, I can't go any further, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And my prayer for each one of us here today each one in live stream, each one online, that we would realize how much we need him and we would humble ourselves before him. We are seeing all this panic buying these days. We've been assured that there's no shortage of toilet paper by toilet paper companies. There's going to be lots of toilet paper. Food chain supplies, we've been reassured by our governments that, that, that there's lots of food in the food chain and there's all the different reasons and opinions for why people are hoarding and why all of this is happening. And the best explanation I've heard so far, and I believe it makes sense and it's rather simple, it's when life seems out of control, this is at least one thing I can have control of. I can at least make sure I have enough toilet paper and I feel empowered and I feel like I'm in control. Or if I have enough food, whatever comes, I will be fine. But if your house burns down, you know, like there's so many different things that can happen and, and yet this is something tangible that we can control and even get involved with emotionally and say, there, at least I've done my part. We've got to surrender the control. Yes, be prepared, but not to be paranoid. To not be fearful, but faithful. Put our confidence in God. And our confidence ultimately in Christ who loved us. You know how much he loved us? We talked about this last week at the start of this message series. He loved us so much that he came to this earth, God in the flesh. Came to this earth and lived a perfect life. Died a willing, sacrificial death on the cross. Willing to be the substitute for the sins of whoever would call upon him as Lord and Savior. He is ready and willing to save to the outermost whoever. Would call upon him. That is his love for us. And not only does he love us, he cares for us, he rescues us, he prays for us, and he saves us. Have you cried out to Jesus in this way? We need to do this daily how much we need him, oh, we need him. Look at what happens. Jesus meets the disciples in the storm. But not only does he meet him in the storm, he is also the master of the storm. The first thing they see when they see Jesus walking on the water towards them is they think it's a ghost. But then they hear his voice and it's like, oh, it's Jesus. And he gets into the boat and the storm ends. Jesus is greater than our fear. Jesus is the master of the storm. And oftentimes we may think, well, it would just be nice if Jesus would just show up right now in my life. When I'm facing trials and difficulties, I would just love, like the disciples, as I'm being tossed and battered by fear, whether it's in the middle of the night or during the day or whatever trial it is that you're facing, I would just love to to be like the disciples and to hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus does speak today, but so oftentimes we're not listening. Jesus does speak through his word The word of God, it says, is living and active. It's not just some dead book. It is alive. It is active. And you read passages. Go home and read Psalm 26. Go home and read Psalm 31. Go home and read John chapter 14. And you will hear the voice of God. You will hear the voice of Jesus speaking. But it's like, I want to hear him in an audible voice. Then read your Bible out loud and you'll hear Jesus speak to you audibly. And he will speak through his word. And as we get our eyes on the written word, we experience the living word in our lives. And we are transformed, as as 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says in verse 18, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. As we experience him through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. Oh, please, in the days ahead, encourage you to be in the Word of God. We have this this, uh, Bible reading, preparation for Easter, uh, reading, I don't think I have my copy here right now, encouraging you each day to be reading a portion out of the book of John. Do this together. Do this together as a church. Be sure you're doing that. It's all in the e-news for you, and, and there's copies of it, paper copies on the way out. You can take one. Let's be in the word of God together, but that's just the starting point. May this be a a season where where instead of scrolling through all the social media, scrolling through all the news, that we would be scrolling through the word of God. Get lost in that. Allow God to speak. Here's another truth, number five. Fear will sink you. Looking only to Jesus will save you. Fear will sink you. In Matthew's account, we have Peter jumping out of the boat to be with Jesus. And I love Matthew. I mean, he is or I mean, I love Peter. That guy, he's just so impulsive, so emotional. Puts his foot in his mouth at times. He just jumps in there. And he's we see him through the gospels, he's in process of developing his faith. I love him. He is he's probably my favorite guy. My favorite disciple of Jesus. But we see Peter just Wanting to jump out, of the, jump out of the boat and it's not be like, oh, cool. I just want to experience walking. He wants to be with Jesus. That's all he wanted. He wanted to get to Jesus. He couldn't wait to get to Jesus. Jesus is coming to him. He's running to him. And everything's going great at first. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he sees the wind and he sees the waves. And what happens? He sinks. And I mean, I don't know what his, his prayer sounded like, but it's one of the, it's the shortest prayer I believe that we have in, in the word of God. And it's three letters, Lord save me. I don't know, as he's going under the water. But Jesus can even hear the that goes on. Lord save me. And Jesus stretches out his hand and he saves him. He rescues him. And for us, the same thing is we get our eyes on everything else and we don't have our eyes in Jesus. We will be sunk in fear sunk by our circumstances, sunk by the news. And today, perhaps you are drowning in fear. You need to call out to Jesus. Call out to him soon as we worship the Lord together and say, Lord, save me, save me. Notice in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus also rebukes Peter. And he says to him as he pulls him up out of the water, he says, oh, you of little faith why did you doubt? You know, there's times when we're in the storm, we need comfort and encouragement. And that's why we need the body of Christ. That's why we're gathering together this morning in various venues. Because we need the comfort of brothers and sisters in Christ. We need that encouragement. Keep going, keep going. And I believe this is a very encouraging church. But there's also times that we also need A sharp rebuking and we need to be called out for our unbelief we need to be called out for the sin of fear and we need to be pointed to Jesus and Jesus in love he rebukes Peter oh you have little faith why did you doubt Jesus today today in your fear he's saying why are you doubting you have little faith I've got this trust me I will see you through Some of you are sinking today and you need that gentle encouragement or maybe even it's that gentle rebuke. You're looking at the waves. You're looking at the latest updates from the World Health Organization. You're looking at stock markets. You're looking at your paycheck. You're looking at work. and Get your eyes on Jesus first and foremost. Yes, those things are important. I'm not saying they're not important, but put them in the right perspective. Put Jesus in his rightful place. And if you are in Christ today, as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, that we have not then been given a spirit of fear. but We are a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. 2 John chapter 4, verse 18 says that perfect love, and who is perfect love? Jesus, drives out fear. So as we run to him, as we fix our eyes on him, as we're in his word, as we're with his people, Encouraging one another through chats, through text messages, through emails, through face-to-face contact still. Last thing, sixth thing. When storms come, we have two, jo- two choices, to worry or to worship. In Matthew's account, it says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. What a moment for them. As the sea becomes calm... As Jesus came walking to them in the midst of the storm, quieted the sea around them, and they worshipped. They saw Jesus for who he really was, the Lord, the master, the master of this storm, the son of God. And some of you are freaking out right now. Or give you five minutes and you can work yourself up into a freaking out way in no time. You're thinking, you're planning, you're freaking out over all of the what-ifs. You know what? You're worrying and you're not worshiping. Worshiping Jesus and getting our eyes off of the circumstances. Worshiping Jesus, first and foremost, is first priority in our lives before we're informed with all the other things. Worshiping Jesus, first and foremost, brings an, an internal peace until there is external peace. We continue to keep worshiping him and one day we will have external peace all around us. Whether that's making it one way or another through what we're facing in these days or when we see him face to face, no matter the storm. We have some dear people in our congregation walking through some great storms and challenges right now. In recent weeks and months, we've been able to walk alongside and encourage people who are walking through relationship, marriage, finances, difficulties they're facing, as well as some through some very serious health issues. People like Al and Sandy. Sandy battles cancer. Take them for a coffee when it's safe to do so. And find out from them how God's peace has been so present in their lives, in this journey. Remarkable, miraculous. That's not Al and Sandy's peace. They, like you, could easily tend, you and me, tend to be worriers, and, and yet they've become greater worshipers through this period. Carol, who is a part of our church family, we give updates. She's now in Calgary in the final stages of her life. Amazing to see God's peace and God's testimony in her life, strengthening her as her body weakens. Her spirit is stronger. That's Supernatural. That's God's peace. That's not any peace drummed up through good emotion and just get ramped up. That is the peace of God that passeth all understanding. So this morning as we worship right away here, I'm going to invite you to worship. Oh, Lord, save me. Oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, save this world. Would your glory fill this earth? Would your glory fill our lives? And as... We worship the Lord, and as we prepare to do that, I encourage you to repent of any areas of sin, areas of worry because fear and worry is sin because it means we're not trusting God. Confess, repent areas of idols or, or, or a distracted or a diluted faith in following God. And as we worship Him and put Him in His rightful place as Lord and Savior and Master, He is there. Cry out to him. And if you are not a believer in Christ today, you don't know Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior. Cry out to him today to be that Lord and Savior in your life. There'll be some prayer partners out in the lobby happy to pray with you. would love to talk to you this, pa- this next week to, to help you understand that. The most important decision you could make is trusting Jesus. And the second most important decision you can make is continue to keep trusting Jesus in all things. Let's pray together. God, we understand that life without you at the center, without you being our Lord and our Savior, means that we are potentially, we are facing the greatest storm of all, and that is an eternity separated from you in hell. And I pray for anyone today that would be listening who has not called out to you as their Lord and their Savior, the forgiver of their sins, the holy God who sent his Son to this world, that they would call out to you today and say, oh, Lord, save me. you would reach out to one of us so we could talk with them further and encourage them in this relationship. And for each one who calls you Father, each one who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, O God, would we all cry out to you, O Lord, save us. Speak to us, heal us, strengthen, embolden us. And We pray, even now, that as we worship you, we would replace worship in our hearts, We would replace the worry that we have in our hearts with worship and love for you. And so would you have rightful place in each one of us this morning? Let's stand together as we worship our Lord together.